Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of This Podcast is Overdue. You may have noticed that there's been quite a bit of time between episodes this season. This is primarily due to the fact that I've come to realize that I am not superhuman, and I do not have the ability to bend time to my will. So despite the fact that I record this episode in September, I'm only just now getting it released to the world. I appreciate your patience, and I hope the delay only increased your excitement about a new episode. Hi, this is April Maza, and this is Christy Showman Fair, and this podcast is Overdue. We're friends and co-workers, librarians, librarians, and each episode we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. April is on hiatus, and today I have a really special guest. I'm very excited to introduce you to Anna Karras, who is a public services librarian in Naples, Florida. Anna, do you want to say hi? Hello. Hi. It's so great to be here. I'm so excited to do this with you. Yes. Thank you so much. Anna is a friend of April's. And yes. one of our, our first emails that we received at our email, this pod is overdue at gmail.com. So how did you meet April? How did I meet April? I worked as a librarian in Seabrook, New Hampshire for about a year and a half. And while I was there, a mutual friend, Beth Galloway, introduced me to April. And I had just really hit it off with April right away. She's a lot of fun. We you know, hung out. We did some stuff. We went to different places. I visited her in Boston on vacation one time. We had a lot of fun. So, yeah. It's great. I, I love that our librarian network is so vast and, and wide. And I'm just incredibly grateful that you are here oh, um, as you. one of my first guests while April is on leave. So Yay. Uh, without further ado, do you want to talk books? Yes, I would love to. Oh, excellent. So what book are you going to tell us about today? I am going to tell you about a book that is an author that I know, and his name is Benjamin Percy. I met him at the Sanibel Island Writers Conference, which is put on by Florida Gulf Coast University, which is just about 40 minutes from where I live. They do a writers conference every year, the like the second week in November. So it's it's a really good incentive for authors to come to Florida in November because it's usually cold everywhere right. else. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we're just starting to get the really nice weather in. So Benjamin Percy came in, I think it was 2013, and he has written a whole bunch of stuff. He has an MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is pretty prestigious. I mean, you know, but the thing is that he likes to write genre fiction, but he's a very literary writer. So the book I want to tell you about is called The Ninth Metal, and it is... It's so hard to describe. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to do TV shows to compare it to. It's, it's like like Deadwood. It's like Deadwood crossed with the Godfather and some science fiction. Oh, X-Men, X-Men. Oh, cool. Yes. So basically you have, it's set in Northern Minnesota. Um, Benjamin Percy also lives in Minnesota, but he's from Seattle, the Pacific Northwest. And The premise of the story is that there is this gigantic meteor shower. There's a comet that passes by the earth that brings in all of this meteor showers and all of this new metal from space falls to earth and it hits the region of Northern Minnesota. So there's like all of this metal that has just liquefied and landed 
in like the Boundary Waters canoe area. It's told from multiple points of view. So you have each chapter, there is somebody who's telling their story and they're all done in third person. And then, so like you have one guy who got hit with a meteor and survived. Oh my gosh. And now he's got like these superpowers. Of course, right. Yeah. Right. It's like having an adamantine skeleton, right? And then you have a woman who is working in a lab from the Department of Defense who's trying to find out what these people who were hit with this metal can do, what their powers are and how they can be used for the government, which is really shady and gross and scary kind of thing. And then there is a, uh, a police officer who is trying to find out what's going on. Northern Minnesota is pretty sparsely populated and it becomes a boom town, kind of like Deadwood, mm-hmm. you know, where everybody is, is going in to mine this metal and these boom towns are popping up all over the place. So it's, it's a really fascinating novel. It's beautifully written and it's quite a ride. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was it was a really fun book to read. I mean, I I couldn't put it down. I I love science fiction in general, but also when they kind of like there's a twist on it. But also that sounds like it's somewhat plausible. I mean, it could happen. It could happen, right? Sure. Right. Years happen. Who knows? Comets come by. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Did you read it in print? Did you read it in another format? Yes, I have a hardcover copy of it. Actually, I read it. I love that cover. Yeah, I know. Isn't that beautiful? It's a really beautiful one. Go look it up. Go look it up. (laughs) Actually, can you send me a picture of that? And we include it on our our Instagram. Uh, We always post pictures of of the books that we're reading. Um, That one just has like a really great metallic kind of overlay. It does. Yeah, it's really pretty. And what are you reading? So I was on vacation for a couple of weeks this summer, not really able to to focus reading in print very much, but I was listening to an audiobook. I listened to Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kavai Strong Washburn. It hmm. was published in 2020 and hit a lot of the bestseller lists. I think partly because it was on President Obama's top books of 2020. Oh, okay. list. Yes, but it is so it is set in um, the late 90s, early 2000s in Hawaii, mostly in Hawaii. And follows a family, a working class uh, family in Hawaii, um, Native Hawaiian. And when their younger, actually is he middle son, was about seven, the family was on a very rare vacation and they were on a boat and he fell overboard. His name's Nainoa and everybody was panicking, trying to get him. And this group of sharks showed up and instead of harming him, they actually brought him back to the boat. And after that instance, that experience, people in their, in his family's community started um, seeing him as like this miracle kid. And even like immediately after he was on the news and there are all these, there's like an influx of, of support for the family um, because his dad had just lost his job um, working in the sugarcane industry over the years. Uh, Nainoa seemed to have powers of some sort and, you know, possibly healing, possibly a connection to, um, to the ancestors of the islands. And so the story follows the whole family, um, from that instance in the nineties through to the two thousands, his older, his older brother, Dean and his sister, Cowie, um, then also their mom. And it's told in alternating chapters, first person narration. It's mostly a family story. 
but with some magical um, mythology um, and, and connection to ancestors tied into all of it, but really kind of focusing on the struggles of families living and working in Hawaii. And then also that weird kind of um, tension that happens when one child seems to be kind of put on a pedestal over mm. the others. And what does that do to the relationships between the rest of the, um, the siblings? You know, later in the story, the, all, the three kids all end up moving to the mainland. Nainoa moves to Portland, Oregon. Dean is in um, Spokane, Washington. And um, Cowie is in um, San Diego. And that experience too, live, you know, going from living in on the islands, being born and raised on the islands, and then moving to the mainland. And what does that do? What are the cultural challenges of being in this space where people don't really have the same kind of connection to the land, don't have the same connection to um, to culture, uh, the same same culture um, mm -hmm. as you do? It was just a fabulous listen. You know, it was a um, full cast, so different oh, wow. um, narrators for each chapter, and the the characters each had their kind of their own pattern of speaking anyway. And so the, the narrators did a really amazing job of pulling that out and reflecting the dialect of the Hawaiian islands and the fact that it's not the same per, per you know, even within the same family, people speak somewhat differently. Sure. Um, and I did actually look up the actors to see if they were native Hawaiian. Some of them were Pacific Islander, um, not all native Hawaiian, but me as a white woman from California felt like it, they did a, a pretty authentic job of reflecting the characters. And Kovai Strong Washburn was born and raised in Hawaii. He's not native Hawaiian. And he's very clear about talking about that, that, you know, he, he is not in the, the same grouping of that his characters are, but he did, he understands the culture of the islands and growing up in on the islands. And then also what it means when you leave and you move to the mainland and what that does with your connection and how there's always this call back to the sure. islands and to nature. Yeah. Um, it just was, it was so well done. I highly recommend it. There's also this really great interview that I found, um, Politics and Prose, the bookstore in Washington, D.C., did a conversation between Kavai Strong Washburn and Tommy Orange talking about um, their books. Um, and I will put that link in the show notes because I think it was really great to listen to them both talk about their stories, but also to hear how the, the books came to be. Um, it's mm -hmm. always very fascinating because this is actually um, uh, Sharks in the Time of Saviors is a debut novel. Oh, wow. And for it to become this like huge thing, you know, like it's, I'm very impressed. What a dream um, come true for the author. Right. right? Yeah. And um, he, I forget what it was that he said he's working on now, but it sounds fascinating and kind of like a, a fantasy sci-fi kind of veer off from the realistic fiction. The, well, you say, although it, it does sound like it has like a little bit of a magical realism bent to it. It does. It does. I, you know, actually I, I, I hesitated using the term magical realism since that kind of was developed for Latin American. Right. Yes. Um, fiction, but it does have that same feel. It really does. You know, the connection to ancestors, the connection to the magic and the power that nature has. Nature, um, yeah. And then what does that mean in current day reality? Mm -hmm. I mean, overall, it's a, it's a realistic fiction family story, but there's this thing that Nainoa can do. And then Cowie also has a connection to the ancestors and often portrayed in her connection to Hula. 
And so, yeah, magical realism, I think, is a good way to describe it, even if that isn't technically the correct term. I'm not a literature. I didn't I don't have a degree in literature. So um, (laughs) you're closer to it than I am, you know, being in an MFA program. Uh, That's true. Yeah. And I did look for um, reviews of Mm -hmm. um, the book by Native Hawaiians to see how the representation has been perceived from um, Hawaiian population. I did not find any, but I did find actually a few reviews from Hawaiian publications that were really proud of the book and happy that it was out there. Excellent. Yeah. That's not a a culture that gets represented very much in literature. So that would be a fascinating read. No. And I, I thought it, you know, it was something to kind of think about a lot like the also service industry and people who are in a place that where a lot of other people come to vacation right right? which I think you probably could you know I can relate to that yeah and I know his mom ends up uh, as a bus driver in Honolulu and you know what the that kind of experience is like when most of the white people who are coming are, are tourists and you know have certain expectations of who people are on the islands Well, our second section is our ask us anything section. And Anna, you have a really great question. I do. I have a question. I need answers. Okay. Do you want to, well, what's your question? Okay. So I just transferred locations in my library system. I, I moved from one branch to another, basically. And my new branch manager wants me to have an emergency story time kit. And that means if somebody, for instance, calls in sick, we don't actually have a children's librarian in our location right now. That oh, position okay. is empty. Yeah. I'm not sure because of COVID and budget cuts and all that stuff, whether or not that position is going to be filled in the near future. So we are actually rotating um, different branch managers coming in and doing story time every week. And that's great. But what happens if a person can't show up, if they are they call in sick, they, which is an entirely too real possibility right now. So she wanted me to have a story time ready to go for a last minute fill in. I am a public services librarian, which means that I don't have a lot of experience with children. I mean, I, I, I like children. I was a child once, but I don't have any children of my own. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I just need help picking a book and, or maybe a couple of books, you know, I mean, they, they do a couple of books in story time these days and I'm just learning about this stuff. So I need to have like a craft ready to go and a couple of stories and a theme. It's, it's a lot. This is totally in my wheelhouse. Yay! Yes. I am a former children's librarian and I ran story time for a number of years. Um, We had, when I was a children's librarian, we had three different age groups of story times and I did the the 18 months to three years old, which are, okay. are I, I love that age group. And I have, I have a really great, almost foolproof schedule, like a, a template that great. I'm happy to give to you. And if anybody out there is a children's librarian and you have opinions and want to share, you can send them to us um, <laughs> at our email. Uh, this pod is overdue at gmail.com. And I'm happy to pass them on to Anna or anybody else who wants ideas. So first you need to find yourself a finger play rhyme and a song that you like mm-hmm. and can remember. Okay. They can be, they can be anything. It really okay. doesn't matter. 
And when I say finger play rhyme, I mean things like itsy bitsy spider. I know that one. There you go. And it's good to pick one that that you think kids are going to know um, because that makes it a lot easier. The one that I used a lot was that I just use every single story time I did was open, shut them. And it w- I used it as my opener as a way of like gathering everybody together and getting them ready to go. So it was open, shut them, open, shut them, give a little clap, open, shut them, open, shut them, put them in your lap. And there's a second verse that I'm happy to type it out for you. But basically, but here's the schedule. So you do a finger play, mm-hmm. you do a very short story, you do a song, you do a short story, you do movement, which is as simple as let's all stand up and shake our wiggles out. Shake, 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 shake. Okay, sit down. Then you do a story and then you close it out. Okay. And then you do a craft. So when it comes to finger plays, like I said, something you can remember, Mm -hmm. don't learn something new, you know, like don't, it doesn't have to be complicated. And I use, I use the same one every single week because kids like consistency. So if there's one that other people have been doing that you can remember, it's a great one to use. Okay. And with regard to stories, I don't think you need to have a theme. Okay. An emergency story time kit. Fair enough. Um, I, I always say go with stories that are silly and ha- have a lot of rhyme and possibly also have allow kids to make sounds. So okay. animal sounds, silly sounds, you know, anything that has a, a rhythm to it is great, especially if your kind of core group is like that toddler to preschooler age. And they will be, I think it's a family story time that we do. So all ages are welcome, but I think mostly it is that 18 month to three years old toddler age. Yeah. And they're using rhyme and rhythm to understand and learn language. And so it's just perfect. It's such a great way to kind of extend that learning, but it's also fun for you too. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a bunch of books that I, I wrote down that are some family favorites, but you know, one is that I, one that I love and I love reading as a grown-up is called Rhyming Dust Bunnies by Jan Thomas. And I love that title. It is, it is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It's dust bunnies, you know, little like fluffy little pieces of dust mm-hmm. that rhyme. So they say car, jar, bar, but then there's a dust bunny named Bob who doesn't know how to rhyme. And he always <laughs> yells out something ridiculous. One time he yells out vacuum cleaner and they're like, Bob, vacuum cleaner doesn't rhyme with anything, (laughs) but he was warning them. So that one's a fun one also because it's just ridiculous and silly. Parents Mm -hmm. will love it. Kids will love it. It's great. The book with no pictures. It was a really popular one a couple of years ago. It has no pictures. It's all text, but also plays with, with font and formatting, but it allows the kids to make a lot of noise, um, which Ah. they really, really love. Yes. Um, I Ain't Gonna Paint No More by Karen Beaumont. Actually, anything by Karen Beaumont. She is a master of rhyme and rhythm, but I Ain't Gonna Paint No More is really fun because kids can guess what the next, it's a, it's about a kid who whose mom hides the finger paints because he painted everything. <laughs> but he found them and he's just going to paint a little bit. And he's going to paint his hand, he's going to paint his leg, but he ends up just painting everything. But the way the rhyme is, is set up is that the kids can guess what the next body part is based on the words that rhyme. Gotcha. So again, they'll, you know, it encourages interaction and phonemic awareness. 
Um, and then I have a couple others that I can um, put on a list that I will include in the shared show notes and I will email to you. Um, but so then when it comes to crafts, yes, I have a theory of craft time for toddlers. Okay. That you cannot go wrong if you have stickers or glue or googly eyes. <laughs> well, but I love googly eyes. Me too. They're, they're, they're awesome. They really are. They really I bought are. a pack. I bought a pack the other day of self-stick googly eyes and I've been carrying around in my bag for weeks. Just putting them in random places or? Yeah. Because I've seen people put them in random places and it's like, that is so great. Yeah. I know so far I've only... vandalism, but you know. Yeah. See, that's the thing. So far I've only done it in my house because yeah. my stuff and it's okay. Right. Like I put them on the, um, the olive oil bottle in our kitchen to see if people would notice. I haven't done it out and about yet, though I do have them just in case. I've been a little worried about the whole vandalism thing. Sometimes yeah. I'm a little much, much of a rule follower, but but for crafts, they're great because you can, you know, you could do just a simple thing of like having paper plates and scissors and crayons and googly eyes and tell kids to create their own monster. You could no. do rhyming dust bunnies and have them create their own dust bunny. Okay. And it's so, you know, you don't really have to prepare anything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do something that requires a lot of like pre-work. Work. Yeah. yeah see if there's a box of recycled materials that is somewhere in the library, you know, like cotton balls and toilet paper rolls. And I know there's a bunch of cotton balls actually in my library right now. Yeah. So that'd be cool. That And you have kids use their, cre- their imagination with glue sticks and googly eyes and, and you, you, you got it. You're All golden. right. Yeah. So that's it. I love it. Yeah. Finger play story, song story movement story but sometimes you can cut that third story if you if you're losing attention cut it closing and craft and what is the closing what does that consist of thanks for coming <laughs> <laughs> or you know if you have a another you could you could sing another song if you wanted to but it really could be like hey everybody can you think of three animals or just have them think of something and just to like pull them back together and then or say you know what, um, what are you most excited about this week? And have them yell out answers and they'd be like, guess what? We're going to go do a craft. Any, like a real closing can be anything you want. Um, short and sweet. Short and sweet. Exactly. Gotcha. Because okay. at that point, especially with the younger ones, you might be losing their attention and they want to do the craft anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you know how many kids they usually get? With uh, usually about 10, I think. Oh, that's good. That's a yeah, good manageable. Good, yeah. Size. I think yeah. we, we count the parents too, for our attendance. So we usually oh, get about 20. Yeah. So, but yeah, about 10, 11, 12 kids. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I always like bring about five books mm-hmm. and we'll have like an idea in my head and kind of change up the books, depending on how the behavior, like the attention span and behavior of the kids are. Mm-hmm. But if you stick with silly rhyming, interactive stories you can't go wrong all right good to know thank you so much my pleasure and if I could like come down and do story time for you I totally would because I miss it come on down to Naples (laughs) it's really stinking hot right now oh I bet yeah we we seem to have, have broken most of the heat although it's it's warm today and very humid 
but I'm sure we can't, we can't compare to your. No, I mean, well, you know, we're right on the coast. I live like six miles from the beach, I think, which is pretty awesome, but it's also about, you know, 91 to 93 degrees every day and about 90% humidity usually. Yeah. Until about the middle of October. And then the weather breaks a little bit. And then what are you guys like in the winter? In the winter? Well, gorgeous. It's, you know, 70 to 80 degrees every day, low humidity. It's beautiful. Oh, that sounds perfect. It is perfect. Yes. We are all going to fly to Florida in December. Well, everybody (laughs) already does that. So. So our next section that we always cover is learning. And I would love to hear about what you've been learning recently. Okay. So as librarians, we wear many hats. So one of those things that, especially in a smaller library system, like I work in a system that has 10 branches and we don't have, well, we do have a, a, like a public information officer, but a lot of us do a lot of our own publicity and marketing. Mm -hmm. So to advertise programs yeah, or, you know, um, doing like, like it's National Library Card Sign Up Month in September. So, you know, we do something for that. And I have been learning to use this program in lieu of using publisher to make signage. It's called Canva. Yes. Do you know Canva? Yes, I do. Although April is much better at it than I am. Our, um, okay. our logo was made in Canva. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yes. So Canva is a, it's a completely online service, I guess, uh, where you can create posters and flyers and Instagram ads and, you know, even like a podcast cover art. Yeah. You know, they have templates for everything in there. It's so much fun to use and play with. I mean, if you, if you've used publisher before and you're using that to make posters and signage and stuff, it's actually pretty intuitive crossover. I would think it's not that hard to pick up how to use it. Yeah. I think that like their, their setup is pretty intuitive that you can. Yes, it is. Everything in there is so beautiful and they have, you know, the colors and you can upload your own pictures to put in there, but they also have all sorts of like clip art and photographs and backgrounds that you can use and different fonts. Now I do have to mention that there is in-service purchases that you can make. Like you can have a free account, which is pretty good. You can do a lot of good stuff with it, but if you get a paid account, you can do everything. The paid account, I believe is $12.95 a month, which, you know, for a library system, we have three accounts in our library system that we can use. You know, we, we all, I don't know if it's legal or not, but we, we share the login information and we're able to create stuff with the full service. But like I said, if you just want to try it out or you don't want to spend the money, there is still quite a few options that you can use that aren't the premium things. Absolutely. So I do highly recommend it for people who are looking for a fresh way to make, you know, like I said, um, flyers. We use a bright board that we, it's like a big TV screen oh, that yeah, we have yeah. at the front of our library that flashes slides of all of the programs that we have coming up. And we do it kind of as like as a slideshow. So, um, you know, we make all of those in Canva and uh, it's so much fun to use. I bet. Now, could you share one? Do you have any like Instagram shaped ones that you could share? Yeah, sure. I could, I could do that. Yeah. That would be cool. 
We, Absolutely. um, we've been using it Canva for a couple of years as a, at an organizational level. Mm-hmm. And we have an organization account, which allows you to then have team members. Ah. Um, and I don't remember, like, I, I know that they have something for nonprofits, but it might just be that it's, that it's a discount. I, I don't do okay. any of the paying for it, mm-hmm. but w- the way we have it set up is that I have my own account, but I'm part of our team. And so I can share things in one, anything I create, I can share with across That's the really team, cool. which is great. Yeah. And like I said, April is a master. She has done so much. She's done videos and banners and, you know, whole like sets of promotional material. Um, she's been doing it for our annual event team summit mm-hmm. that we host every year. Um, and I have to do it for this year's team summit. So I'm kind of like, I, I, I know how to use Canva, um, but mm-hmm. I've been doing watching some tutorials too, to kind of get myself. Oh yeah. They have really good tutorials. Yeah, in they there. do. So, yeah. Yeah, I did a video for um, the summer reading program, Tales and Tales, for this yes. summer. Um, my branch manager did, a, we were doing online content because of COVID. So we were mm-hmm. doing half in-person programming and half online content. And she did a story and then she did a craft showing how to do a craft in a video. And I inter- it was all about giraffes since we were doing, you know, our animal theme. <laughs> I love giraffes. So I interspersed it with little clips of videos of giraffes, which I got from Canva. And I put on there little facts about giraffes. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, the, the you know, the little horn thingies that they have yeah. on top of their head. They're called ossicones. Oh, and they're so actually, cool. they're like, they're like a deer's antlers where they're actually bone underneath, but then they just have skin and fur on top of them. Oh, that makes sense. And especially with the name too, Ossicone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. I love yeah. that. That was a yeah. great way to like, to present a craft too. And so it's not just like, but also has, has learning and information. Exactly. I love yes. that. Yes. Cool. It was fun. I have not yet done videos in Canva. No, today I was going to talk about indigenous fire ecology. Oh, okay. So I don't think I've talked about it on this podcast yet, but my absolute favorite podcast is Ologies with Allie Ward. It is a science podcast where Allie interviews ologists. So people whose jobs fit into a a title that ends in ology. So ecology or psychology or biology type of thing. And sometimes she has to like kind of be creative in creating the ology, the name. Basically she interviews experts in their field, but it's always super entertaining and fun. And I learn a ton. And the, the episode I most recently listened to was indigenous fire ecology. It was an interview with Dr. Amy Christensen, who is with the Canadian Forest Service. And she also is a First Nation. And um, she was talking about uh, land stewardship and Good Fire. She actually has a podcast of her own called Good Fire. I think the thing that was most uh, salient or, you know, the thing that really stood out to me was the idea that, you know, we in, you know, Western civilization have primarily been taught that fire is bad. It's fire when it, when it's outside, right. When it's out in the environment, the fire is bad. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about Smokey the bear and only you can prevent forest fires and, and that kind of messaging that we've received for generations that forest fire is bad fire, that that is, has not always been the case. 
And yes, these big fires that are happening on the West Coast really are terrible, but there is a such is there is such a thing as good fire and that what colonization did to North America kind of took that land stewardship away, disallowed Native American and First Nations from the, the good fires that they would set over the course of time that helped kind of shape the forests and kept them healthy and kept the um, the underbrush from getting too bad and you know things that I I kind of was vaguely aware of but not really didn't really think about um, very deeply before this episode and like for example that that you know the fires that were set very slow burning they were done at um, oftentimes um, at the time of year where they would would never become a big forest fire because they were done you know like for one of one of the examples that um, Dr. Christensen gave was that they would would be right as the snow was beginning to melt, but before the um, complete thaw. And so oh, okay. they would do a slow burn in a, in a meadow and it would end up encouraging new sprouts to come up, um, uh, uh, fresh um, sprouts of grasses. And so therefore encouraging deer and moose and other larger animals to come into the meadow to graze earlier than they would have been able to because of the snow. Ah. So that the, the fire would kind of melt the top snow and encourage the, the sprouts to come up. And so therefore allowing uh, native peoples to come in and hunt, mm-hmm. but also then kept the underbrush out of the way and kept the whole sure. meadow healthy. Those practices were around for thousands of years. And sure. then in you know the 1600s, 1700s were then said, nope, you can't do it. Fire is bad. It has to be complete. Fire is bad. And so what has that done to our forests? What has that done to our, our environment? And now that we're seeing these giant fires come up, what can't, are there ways to use the understandings of the elders and with, with good fire practices and cultural burn practices to start changing um, and moving towards a better fire management system? It was fascinating. And I keep thinking about it. I have heard about things that the Forest Service has done, like controlled burns and stuff like that. I know that major overgrowth in the underbrush is bad. Mm-hmm. And if we don't control those things, they will get what you have in California and the West Coast. Um, it's funny, when, when I was a little kid, we lived in Southern California. And the last year we lived there, I was seven years old. And we had such bad brush fires in the valley where we lived that Halloween was sort of canceled that year because Mm -hmm. the ashes and the smoke in the air were so bad. Yeah. I grew up in Southern California as well. And yeah, yeah, fire was a thing. There's Mm -hmm. a fire season. And so I grew up knowing that there are plenty of of plants that needed fire in order to propagate in order, Mm -hmm. you know, that the seeds needed fire in order to be able to, um, to, plant replant themselves or to spread and that not all fire was terrible but that the way fires have kind of evolved has become really bad because also fire season is in the summer when everything is dry it's hot the Mm -hmm. the, in in california there's a a wind system that comes through the santa 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 that Mm -hmm. come and are hot yes spread fire and it makes everything worse and i think that what was interesting about the conversation about controlled fires is that some of that 
understanding has was is draw, draws from Native American practices, but that there are definitely differences. You know that doing controlled fires needs to happen at a certain time of year. Needs to happen when the ground is wet. You know that so that they are really actually controlled and not just controlled because of firefighters. firefighters. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. That's so interesting. I have to listen to that podcast now. It. Is, oh my gosh. I could go on and on about ologies. Like I have learned so, so much over the years. It really is a fabulous podcast to listen Super. to. I'm always great, grateful for a new podcast to listen to. Okay. So last we have our loving category. Okay. And what do you love? What do I love? I love that in six days I'm getting a puppy <gasps> oh yes goodness. I know oh, that's I'm so, so excited yes my husband and I decided my husband retired a couple of years ago he's quite a bit older than I am but uh and he's so he's at home all day we we share a car so I drive to work and he's here at home and you know, we decided that we would, he, he had a puppy. Well, he had a puppy. He had a dog when he was a kid. It was a wire Fox terrier. We decided that we were going to get a puppy. He was born on July 17th. And on Sunday we get to go pick him up. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. I know. Now I know this because I, I do, I am connected with you on social media, but um, would you share your puppy's name? His name is Cecil Maurice, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I know, I but we're going to call him Cecil. He's named after my husband is, is he's Greek American and he's very much into ancient Greek history. And there is an Oxford professor. He was Don of actually, he was president of the whole college at one time. His name was Cecil Maurice Bora and he was a, an ancient Greek scholar and one of my husband's favorite authors. So we decided since it was an English breed, we would give him an English name. And uh, yeah, so Cecil Maurice. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Now, have I you know. been doing like all of the puppy kind of learning and reading up? Oh, yes. There is a boarding training doggy daycare center near where we live called Rufgers. <laughs> I know, it's really cute, right? <laughs> and they have puppy classes and he has already been registered for his first puppy class, which is, you know, where they kind of get the puppies socialized with other mm -hmm. animals and other people, and they learn their basic commands. And then after that, they go into manners 101, and then they have manners 201. And we really want to go all the way with this dog. You know, we want this dog to be well-trained. So we want him to get the AKC Good Citizen Award. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to work really hard on training him. Have him be a therapy dog. Exactly. And he's so cute. He's like a schnauzer with a little beard and you know, he's going to be just adorable. Yes. Oh, that's so exciting. Yes. And do you so get I'm, any time off or are you? I Well, yes, I did manage to finagle. I'm, I have to work mornings, but I have the afternoons off. So I will be able to come home and have more time to bond with the puppy. That's great. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a perfect love. I know. Now, what about you? It's less fuzzy, but um, I love, <laughs> I love postcards and I, Same. yeah, I, um, it, I've loved them for a very, very long time. But last year, uh, when we were first kind of early in the pandemic, I ended up coordinating a postcard trade 
project with youth services librarians in Massachusetts. And so I had everybody sign up, I matched them, and then they sent postcards of encouragement to each other over the summer. How cool. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. It came up like in a, in a Zoom call. We, we were hosting regular check-ins with youth services librarians and it came up and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it because everybody needs good, happy mail, right? Absolutely. And in that time I had been, I, I randomly collect postcards, like, you know, there'd be free ones here and there. I'd see ones for sale. I'd buy them. And last summer I stumbled upon this, this Etsy shop called Life of the Kind. The owner, Deb, has this whole, whole bunch of sets of, of postcards from really great encouragement ones to snarky ones. And she had a whole set of like pop culture nerdy ones. So I basically just buy postcards from her on a regular basis. <laughs> and the last couple of weeks, I've just kept a pile on my dining room table and I've been writing a postcard every day and mailing it just randomly to people. Um, sometimes because the postcard itself reminded me of them, or sometimes because I felt like that person needs encouragement or I haven't talked to them for in a while. And I just, I love it. I love the idea of somebody getting a piece of happy mail. And also there's a little bit of this, I know it may sound a little weird. I also love the idea that mail carriers get to see those words of encouragement too. I don't think that's weird. Okay. I mean, what, I, what do they, what do they look at these days, but circulars and bills, right? Right. right? Yeah. So then there's this postcard that one side has something like cool or snarky or funny on it. And another side is a message that is public. You know, I'm never, yeah. I'm not going to write something that's like super private on a postcard that everybody can see, but it's, of it's, so basically it's touching multiple lives as it goes out into the world. And I, I love what a it. really great practice. I love that. And I actually thinking about thinking back to, I think a part of it came to as I was doing the postcards to voters program for a while oh, um, Okay, and did that with my kids where we did send postcards to people to encourage them to vote. Great. And, um, and same kind of concept. I, I just love sending positive thoughts out into the world. So I actually, I don't postcards. Really? Yeah. Oh, like every time I went on vacation, I would pick a couple postcards because it was a cheap souvenir. Yeah. And then you would have, you know, a whole collection of places that you'd been. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Actually, but I like your idea. I have some postcards like that. I have a whole bunch of from London. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I bought so many London postcards <laughs> and now I'm like, I don't really need them. So I've sent them from Massachusetts and it seems a little silly, but and that's um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now I, I need to send you a postcard. Okay. And I would love to send our listeners postcards. So if you want a postcard from me, you can send me your mailing address at this pod is overdue at gmail.com. Um, I'd be happy to send postcards to people because I need, a, I need more people to send them to. <laughs> Beautiful idea. I love it. So um, that's it. That's our episode. That's our episode. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Anna. Thank you so much for being one of our guests. Thank you for having me. This has been so delightful. And I, I'm, I don't think I said this at the beginning, but I've been very nervous about the idea of having guests because I am still relatively new to the po- podcast world and yeah. don't interview people very frequently. So I'm really grateful to have people who have been very easy to talk to and and interesting with great ideas. Um, So thank you for that. For those of you who are listening, uh, if you haven't already, please consider um, subscribing to the podcast um, and sharing it with your friends and family and anybody, actually. We will be coming out with 
episodes throughout the fall, not as frequently as normal, but, um, but we will have these episodes posted and then hopefully some um, special little mini book posts. Um, episodes coming up too. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Yes, yes. So uh, they're all in in process right now in my cool. in my spare time. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. I don't either. I don't <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again, Anna. And oh, I hope thank you. Everybody has a great day. Yes. Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading. Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Okay, let's see that. Let's see what happens. Doopity doop. I don't know.